and welcome to this month's podcast with Horton Consulting. And I am Michael Bentley and we have the lovely Laura Horton here with you. Hello, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. So today's uh, hangout, we've had some really good questions sent through. And I know I say that on every hangout that we do, that we've had really good questions. But I would just like to take the opportunity to thank everybody for sending their questions in uh, and to continue to do so. Um, we're getting a lot through Facebook uh, message, and that's that's great. So please continue to do so. They are interesting, they're varied, and there's something for everybody to listen to. So thank you uh, for, for doing that. And I hope as well everyone's finding it really helpful. So I'm going to start off with the meatiest question, first of all. Um, which, okay. Yeah, it's interesting. So... As a practice owner of 20 years, my practice has evolved and I haven't had to create my vision. As an old dentist, where do I even start? It's all very daunting and I'd much rather prep a tooth. <laughs> oh, bless. Yeah, I love the honesty there. That's great. And I think this is a conversation we have a lot with dentists when we're working with, with practice owners, you know, to help them uh, design uh, the business around you know what it is that they want to achieve either people are very clear with what they want to do or some say I know I need to do something but I just don't know where to start and people can become a bit lost and also we've got the other side of it where some people had a vision they've bought a business it's been going well and then it's become what I call stagnant it's just sort of you know fell apart nothing's happening anymore there was a lot of happening initially and nothing now um and that causes problems as well. But this person, where do I start? It's daunting. You know, I do feel for this person, they probably feel slightly uh, worried here. But saying that you'd rather prep a tooth. So that's a clear passion there for crowns and bridge work and restorative. And <laughs> I know, Michael, you have a good few pointers to say to, to share with everybody. But for me, and I say it's a discussion we're always having, is what are your passions? What are you passionate about within dentistry? So if you're not passionate about dentures, don't do dentures. If you are passionate about endo, do endo. So when you're looking at enhancing your business and you don't know where to start, take a look at your passions. What is it that you enjoy? And go from there, because if you can do more of the dentistry that you enjoy, then you're going to be happy, then everybody's going to be happy. And then you can develop the business around those types of treatments that you want to do, not just with new mm -hmm. patients, but with existing patients as well. And passion is really, really important. And before I hand over to you, Michael, I just sort of like to stress that you know we are always finding dentists that feel under pressure to do every type of clinical course there is uh, because everybody else is doing it so are you going to be missing out so do you need to make you know a huge investment in implants if it doesn't really rock your boat do you need to make a huge investment in orthodontics if it doesn't really rock your boat no you really need to focus on your passion we you know dentists work very very hard and the time uh, that you're practicing dentistry should be as enjoyable as possible because that will then make the development of the business enjoyable because it links directly to your passion. So, Michael, I'll hand over to you now. 
Yeah, I'm going to take this from a totally different angle because, you know, sometimes you think about things from a totally different viewpoint. And I think what I'm going to say today is, is that what I would do, first of all, is sit with your key team leaders in your practice and talk about where the business actually is. And in line with what you just said, Laura, you know, where you wanted to go and then actually ask yourself some questions really. Is the business under control at the moment? So where is the compliance at the moment? Where is your marketing plan at the moment? Where is your finance plan at the moment? Where is the plan for the staff and the human resources in the practice? Where would you like your customer service to be? And you actually start to car, uh, car park, if you like, every single area in the business and have a good look at put a spotlight on it and have a good look at what's happening in each of those areas. And are your leaders actually managing those areas of your business? So what's in control and what's out of control? The areas that are in control, pat yourselves on the back for immediately and go, that's great that we've got these areas of the business in control. And are we happy that those areas, if we do, if we keep ticking them over like this, are always going to be at that level? And if they are, just rubber stamp those, decide how much time that needs to keep those going. And, and that part of your business now, you all know you're on the same page that's in control. Then the areas of business that need development, maybe as you said, you know, the marketing plan, for example, which will link with finances, which will link with the uh, patient experience. Those areas then you can start to look at what you want to do, how you want to plan it, and who is going to move that forward. Remember as a business owner, you don't have to be moving everything forward. What you do need though, is somebody that has the time to move that forward. So what I find when I meet a lot of practice managers is they've got a to-do list that's got thousands of things on it to do, but all their time is already taken up by tasks on a weekly and you know daily basis. So. If that is the case as well, managers, you need to be honest and go, well, I'm working at capacity as well, a bit like I'm, you know, occupancy full. So we need to find a way of developing a number of member of the team, for instance, to work on the things that are compliant, you know, already uh, sorted and in control. And let's delegate some of those areas across with full training and giving them the time to do those areas. And then the practice manager that has the opportunity then to move the business forward alongside the owner in a good really good way on the areas that need development and that for me is probably where I would start um, because it's about you know having a plan isn't it to be able to start to move forward what's the key thing is of course once you start to plan for that is you do need to keep meeting regularly to find out where is the plan and is it still moving forward in the right direction and a lot of practice managers and business owners do not meet often enough for my liking you do need to have at least a one hour to two hour meeting every single week off the premises so that you have the opportunity to talk freely without literally is listening um, and in an environment so that you can think about the business and it's two hours a week and it sounds like a lot but you'll cover so much ground um, and again your managers then know when they're proceeding for the next week they're proceeding in the direction that you want them to be going down um, as a practice owner as well so then when you're in your surgery and you are drilling you know the wonderful tooth there to provide a crown or a bridge work or endo whatever it may be you can do that with peace of mind and hopefully um, that starts you off in the right direction 
Absolutely. And, you know, without a doubt, just, you know, something that Mike's just mentioned there, you know, two hours a week of a, of a management meeting, some people will just sort of bulk at that and think, wow, you know, what do we discuss? How unrealistic. And Michael's just given you a list of things to discuss in that meeting. Um, but what I just would like to share with you is that so many practices, once they start having these meetings on a weekly basis, they even expand the time to two, you know, two and a half to three hours because there is so much that comes from these meetings that is is actually quite extraordinary. So they are a really proactive part of, of managing your business. Now, we've got a couple of HR related questions and a question about something to do in a TCO consultation. Um, so the two HR questions, I'll answer the first one. Mike can go for the second one. Uh, and the first one is how, well, we'll both obviously give our input as usual, but I'm going to lead the way with this one. How long can your probationary period be? And I love this question. And I remember when I was a practice manager and the standard was you took everyone on a three month contract. And then after that, they moved on to a permanent contract. And we had a fantastic uh, induction and training um, for all new team members. It was set out very clearly. The expectations were very clear. The training was provided because um, it wasn't just about, you know, the basics of dental nursing. It was a lot to do with our practice as an individual. And now if we look at everything that team members need to be inducted on in practice, the list has grown dramatically uh, in the last few years. And Mike and I are firm believers that the three month probationary period needs to be six months because there is so much to induct people on. And that's for a full time team member. So, you know, there is so much that you've got to get through that six months should be the absolute minimum. Now, I many, many years ago changed it to six months in our practice because not because of the amount of training and people were, you know, sort of scratching at the surface three months in. There's another reason as well. And that's fake people and people that you employ that are being fake. They're pretending to be a team player. They're pretending to be nice. They cannot keep that up for six months. By four and a half, five months, they're, they're running out of energy with it because it's not real. They are being fake and the true personality will come out. And then you get to see what that person's all about. And the, that's the reason I changed to a six month of probation in the first place. I'll never, ever forget moving someone onto a permanent contract and then wondering who on earth was this person that was suddenly in the business. It was not the person we'd interviewed, inducted and worked with for the last three months because they just couldn't keep that fake persona up any longer. And whenever I mention this to practice managers and owners and dentists, oh, yeah, we've all had one of those. And it is awful that this person suddenly changes but they don't change the fact is they're being real uh, prior to that they were being fake um but the probationary period six months absolute minimum and you've got to have a fantastic uh, induction process in your practice it's not right that people just come in and are made just to you know throw themselves in the deep end and here's forms that you've got to sign and this you've got to read and it's very, very stressful for new starts and it takes so much to find someone great to recruit that you don't want to risk losing them a few months in either. 
no, not at all. And I think the other important thing from an HR point of view, and I'm going to, again, I'm going to come from it from a totally different angle, Laura, because you've given all the advice I would already give, which is remember that the tribunal system has gone back to there is no fees uh, for staff now to actually send you to a tribunal if they think they've been treated unfairly. And this is really important in a probationary period that if, yes, you can terminate somebody in a probationary period uh, easier, but you do still need, con um, you do need specific reasons for actually doing that. So concrete reasons, that's the word I was going to use. Concrete reasons are absolutely imperative. So it's not a case of that person's face doesn't fit the business. You need to actually talk about the failings of that person and you need to give them the opportunity to improve. And then if they haven't improved, then you can terminate their contract in the probationary period. Be very careful not to have a termination reason because if you don't, then that may lead to a tribunal and therefore you've got all of that grief to go through. So really do protect yourselves. It's not a case of going, well, I don't like her or I don't like him. Actually, you do need a concrete reason for doing that. So the earlier you can do capabilities in your practice, the better off you possibly are to make sure that people understand the systems in your practice, exactly what's expected of them. And if they've got a shortfall there or they don't have the ability to do the systems that are required, and that's probably what's going to happen in probationary it's not normally lack of application it's normally lack of ability to do the systems that you want somebody to do because a lot of your systems will probably be new to that person so that's where you want to terminate the probationary period is lack of ability or lack of skill because you thought this person could come in and do the job that they're expected to do but actually um, on a day-by-day -day, uh, basis it's very clear that they can't do that so that's what uh, needs to happen and that goes nicely back to Laura saying you've got to have a full induction period and do make sure that you're linked with an appropriate HR company there's lots of amazing HR people out there um, you know I would recommend code to you um, because they've got all the systems and templates that you need for your business and they would work very well for you yeah fantastic and that just leads us directly on to this next question which is about existing employees and requests to change working hours and flexible working so mike do you want to read out the question yes yeah, so we've got a question here um what is the parameters for flexible working and do i have to implement this in my business well the clear answer is yes you do flexible working is not a choice for any practice in the uk and um, so it is something that you do have to do there's lots of templates to do with flexible working and um, primarily though flexible working is there people can put one application in every 12 months there are a list of reasons where you could say to somebody that your application is turned down and there's reasons which I won't go through now you need to do some homework on that but the important thing is is anybody can put an application in at any time and what I think the murky water is is that there's a big thing between grievance and flexible working so Laura if you ask me to not work let's say an evening shift any longer because you've had a changing circumstances and as a business, um, on at this point in time, I could actually agree to your flexible working application because I actually do have enough people to warrant you not working on that uh, that evening. Then I could actually accept your flexible working application. 
because flexible working is based on a first come first served basis so if a colleague after Laura came in and asked for the same um, flexible working agreement to not do that evening um, I would then be able to turn that down relating to the fact that the business wouldn't be supported on this evening and even if the employee said but you've just granted that to Laura it is when it's first come first served and each application is granted on that basis so at the point of granting Laura's decision actually we could meet that from the business needs but your application is coming afterwards and I'm really sorry Jane but on this occasion um, we are going to have to turn down your flexible working application so does that make sense um, so that's that is um, an air that you know somebody goes on maternity leave Laura for an example and then they want to come in come back to the business and change their contract then they could write a flexible working application and they put in the reasons for changing their contract and then as a business you can decide whether you are or you're not going to this really works well at the other end of the day where you might have a staff member that's got um, a relative that's unwell um, or they're you know they're looking after a dependent it could be a child it could be an, an adult or something like along those lines um, and that actually they put in a, a, a flexible working application or through a return to work interview you might say perhaps it's time to put a flexible working application in um, to talk about maybe changing your hours so that you could come in at 8 15 instead of eight o'clock so that you don't keep coming in late and then start to face a disciplinary action so um, I'm not saying that the business could accept that flexible working application because it could be that you can't um, so the bigger your business or well, basically you might be able to be offer more flexibility if you can't offer flexibility it's very clear that you can say no yeah um, but if you if you are um, able to offer some flexibility and it might prevent somebody from having disciplinary reaction because you they've told you they can't get there at 8 15 they can only get there at 8 30 for example um, then the, there might be another opportunity for you to deal with that situation so flexible working applications um, can work in advantage you just need to work with them really cleverly um, again if you go onto code they've got all the documents there were uh, you know other HR companies have them as well um, and there are seven real key reasons of turning down an application so uh, flexible working is here to stay uh, and I know practice are nervous about it but if you do have a request then you know do talk to somebody in HR um, and there's always a way forward and just forget you know you need to make a decision uh, where the business is at this point in time so if you make a decision now and in two years time you get an application and it was the same as this one two years ago you can still say no because it was firmly based on the decision that you made for the business at that time and that's all that needs to happen so hopefully that's given some people some confidence where flexibility working is concerned yeah I'm sure it has and I think you know again where we're supporting our clients and having conversations there seems to be a panic when people get these requests you know Laura I've just had this you know request come through oh it's just not going to work for us I can't believe it and I'm like calm down you're allowed to say no it's about the business if it doesn't work for the business and uh, you can say no so I think that's where people do panic you know practice managers and owners they feel that automatically this has got to happen and it hasn't and the other thing is you've got to take emotion out of it as well this is about the business it's yes the team member in question it has put this uh, application in for reasons that are probably emotional to them but you've got to be non-emotional about it. I find too many people are getting very emotional uh, about this. And this is a managerial task, therefore it's non-emotional. Um, so thank you, Michael. Last question. Um, this, is, this is good. It's very simple and I like it. Um, 
do you take pictures in TCO consultations? Now, there are so many people that do, and I have in the past as well. We've got different types of TCO consultations first and foremost. So I'm unsure what type of consultation this question relates to. If it was a free consultation, I used to see patients, I'd have an hour blocked in the diary for implants, cosmetic dentistry or nervous patients. And because I could take a full series of photographs with the SLR and I could do that, you know, in a matter of minutes, I thought it was great. You know, I'm excited, aren't I, about taking these pictures? I can do it. Woohoo! I'm going to take them at the end of the consultation. And my advice is never to do that because the free consultation that's held with a TCO is a non-clinical appointment. And by taking photographs, you make it clinical. And in my experience, this is when patients start asking other questions that relate to more clinical questions, which, of course, the TCO shouldn't be answering. And my recommendation is just not to do it. If you as a TCO want to take photographs, you can do that on an appointment where the patient comes in to see the dentist. So Michael's the new patient. I've seen him for a free consultation. He's come back next week to meet the dentist. And prior to going in with the dentist, I could take the photographs then. No problem. And that wraps everything into a clinical appointment. There are other types of TCO consultations where the new patient sees a TCO and then does go straight in to see the dentist for an assessment. So that's a good opportunity again to do the photos there. My advice is really just to make it very clear within your systems what appointment is non-clinical and which appointment is clinical. And remember that photography is clinical. You know, Michael and I, we've seen all sorts. We've seen impressions being taken in a consultation room, which is a big no-no. Um, all sorts we've seen. Um, <laughs> and, it, you know, you've really got to ascertain what is clinical, what is not clinical. Are we doing things in the right setting as well? Because there are consequences for not doing things in the right setting, such as taking impressions in a consultation room. Is there anything you'd like to add, mm. Michael? No, I think you've covered that really, you know, just think, and I, I, what, I, what I would say is that, you know, if you're in a non-clinical appointment and then you start taking photographs, it changes the whole uh, uh, rhythm of the appointment as well. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, 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 if a patient is nervous, for an example, um, it, it, it's an absolute no, because then you're starting to put, you know, retractors in somebody's mouth and all that kind of thing. And, you know, invariably you haven't got what you need and then you've got to get a camera and lots of people don't like photographs being taken, et cetera, et cetera. So what was going to be a really comfortable appointment that you set up right at the start to say it's a non-clinical appointment today, it's a conversation to get to, to know your law, understand that your concerns, you know, talk about the solutions that we can provide at the practice um, actually you've changed the whole consultation because you've now made it clinical um, the other important thing that I would like to say though which I think you know uh, you'll agree as well is when it comes to doing an options meeting however I'm seeing far too many options meetings being done without photographs and that is a no as well so you need to make sure that in your clinical examination appointments you are taking detailed photographs so that when the dentist is presenting the treatment you can actually talk about the, the patient's mouth and then when you leave the consultation afterwards after presenting you know the concerns that you've seen and and you know talk about your recommendations and solutions and you know the investment that actually you leave the TCO then and then it can go back to the 
the pictures um, and they've got you know a point of correspondence with the patient um, and then remember the alternatives as well because I'm seeing far too many options without photographs of my liking and it's a real concern that de as dentistry you should be taking photographs all the time. Yeah, photographs are a record. They're essential. I think it's great this person, you know, this practice is taking them. Um, I definitely recommend a combination of intraoral as well. Intraoral photographs are great for, for problems. And yeah, Mike's right. You know, you've got to have photographs. Well, being Nora, that's one of the important things as well. Lots of practices are taking intraoral camera images and they're not being saved. Yeah. And I do ask myself. Well, what what is the use of that? Yes, it was it was great to see the picture at that moment in time. But again, if you haven't saved the picture, I know a lots of practices as well are not uh, are uncomfortable with technology. Believe you me, uh, listeners, I am uncomfortable with technology as well. But actually, again, it's one of those things that can overwhelm you quite quickly. Find the right people to help you. Um, and you know what, Laura is a great instructor when it comes to learning a new computer system. She breaks it all down, and you know that's what it's all about so you need to find somebody to work with an operator or you know somebody to talk to to go this is what I would like to do can you help me there and can you explain it in layman's language to me as well because I think that's the problem with the computer industry um, that they like to talk at highfalutin language as well and dentists this is what you do yeah you talk in a language that people don't understand so you need to ask them please get back to basics, you know, simple steps so that I can do it. Because actually when you're showing simple steps, I've just had a new iPhone X and I couldn't understand how to take a picture, you know, a screen grab um, shot because you've got no uh, home button any longer. So it, it, it's totally changed it. But you know what? I just needed to calm down. I've read the Apple instructions and now I can do it perfectly. And all I need to do is calm down a moment, which I've learned to do quite quickly now, um, and go, right, there must be an answer for this. This is the answer. Okay, now I understand the skill. So again, that's another skill, isn't it? So please don't be afraid to ask. And you do need to make sure that your servers and all those kind of things have the capacity um, to save your photographs because they will save you later. Um, and especially where periodic concerned please please take perio photographs and please ask your hygienist to do the same thing fantastic and Michael, i'm just laughing that i'm so glad that i was not with you when you were trying to work out how to take a screenshot i'm glad i wasn't there come on you've got, you've got to admit i've got so much better in the last five years you have come on leaps and bounds my darling absolutely yeah. All really down to positive yeah. mental attitude and I can I can unpick it. I, I can do that now. But before I do understand how people feel though, because if it's something you don't like doing, um, or it's something that you know you feel that you're not very good at, then it does overwhelm you and then you don't do it very well because you've got that inbuilt pressure already. You know? So it, you're almost setting yourself up for fail, aren't you? So actually you need to go back a step and, and try and prepare yourself in the right way yeah. and, I mean we could have a whole podcast on you know preparation is key uh, for everything that you do but we won't <laughs> and that's all we've got time for today as well so as I said at the start thank you for sending in your questions please do subscribe to this podcast please send your questions through and uh, we look forward to making uh, a very exciting announcement at the beginning of 2018 about the Horse and Hangout podcast. Please remember they are no longer on YouTube. They're just as a podcast. And uh, I'd just like to say thank you very much for tuning in. Thank you.